Howdy, and welcome to another episode of the Gailey Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Myers. And I'm Robin Dorner, your host and the editor-in-chief of the Gailey. Today, we're talking with Kyle Lawson from Together Oklahoma. It's an organization that advocates for state budget reform to help everyday Oklahomans. I'll tell you, from the first time I met Kyle, I was really inspired by him. His knowledge in these key issues affecting Oklahomans is, it's so vast. And I'm like a sponge soaking up all the information when I get to have a conversation with him. So without further ado, here's Kyle. So um, Kyle, just tell us a little bit about Together Oklahoma. I know it's about budget, but from my perspective, I can't even keep $20 in my pocket. So <laughs> tell, tell me a little about uh, Together Oklahoma. Okay, well, Together Oklahoma is a nonpartisan coalition of citizens working together to help secure a more robust future for our state, um, and that includes all citizens. Uh, we are a grassroots education and advocacy group connecting Oklahoma values uh, to state budget priorities. Um, we are primarily staffed and funded by the Oklahoma Policy Institute, uh, but we as an organization have really grown beyond just focusing on budget issues. Uh, OK Policy works on a very wide variety of uh, important issues that impact our state, from economic opportunities to education and taxes and voting and you name it, essentially we have worked on it, everything except for environment so far. Mm -hmm. And so as a field, field organizer, what do you specifically do? Um, you know, my my day-to-day -day tasks essentially are visiting with everyday Oklahomans throughout the state. Uh, my specific region is uh, OKC right now in the metro surrounding area. Uh, we don't currently have a northeast field organizer, so I'm also working in the northeast part of the state. Uh, when I first came on with OK Policy and Together Oklahoma, um, I work very much in southern Oklahoma, uh, specifically southeast, uh, from Ardmore all the way over to the Arkansas border. Mm -hmm. uh, I have made a few trips to Idabel, Oklahoma, and know Tina Foshi, the mayor there, very well. <laughs> Oklahoma is like mostly conservative, so how do you convince uh, people who are conservative who usually don't have the largest trust in the government to care about issues that you're advocating for? Uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult to sometimes bridge those connections, but it really boils down to relationships and building those relationships. And when you're working with communities, especially when you work in the historically marginalized communities, um, there's a lot of barriers that they, those individuals have put up and that's to protect themselves. And in order to help kind of get beyond those barriers, you just have to work on building relationships with folks and be more than just a person of words. You really have to be a person of action. Uh, and I've really spent the last 10 years in rural Oklahoma investing on working towards a lot of positive change for communities. Um, and so it's really just continuously showing that, showing your intentions are, are in the right place and working with these communities um, and, and taking a lot of small things as victories, even if we're just moving the needles on some issues. Um, but really, it boils down to building relationships. So what kind of um, issues does Together Oklahoma bring up that could help a rural Oklahoman? Uh, the largest thing that we have worked on since essentially the foundation of Together Oklahoma is Medicaid expansion in our state. Uh, we ran a very large campaign 
uh, last year around Medicaid expansion at the Capitol. We had volunteers from out throughout the entire state. I believe there was around 500 volunteers that took to the Capitol on our day of action uh, to visit with legislators on how important access to Medicaid in rural Oklahoma is because businesses don't want to come to a community where there's not access to medical care uh, for their employees. So it was really important for rural Oklahoma and that was one issue that really brought folks together uh, in some of the rural parts of the state. And once, what were like the stories that you were hearing in rural Oklahoma about like Medicare issues? Because I know there's always like, you know, uh, hospital deserts and stuff like that in like rural communities. Yeah, uh, probably the most powerful story that stayed with me, um, two, two of the most powerful stories that really stayed with me throughout the whole campaign that we worked on was in Paul's Valley, they had an issue with um, their administrative situation and managing the funds around their hospital and it closed. Uh, people argue now that if they had had Medicaid expansion, they may have had the funds to have kept them open a little bit longer to get better management in. Uh, but essentially the Paul's Valley Hospital closed uh, and less than a week after the hospital closed, a significant community leader uh, had a heart attack and lived around the block from the previous hospital and en route to um, medical care passed away subsequently. And many folks believe that if that hospital still would have been there, that individual would still be with us. Uh, the other story that I heard a lot in some of the rural parts of the state is a lack of access to healthcare for LGBTQIA folks. And uh, that really stayed with me a lot because people were being refused care, not just because um, they didn't have insurance, but because the doctor, quote unquote, didn't provide health care to that individual uh, because they don't do trans care. Um, and so a lot of those folks had to travel to Oklahoma City or Tulsa to access health care. Um, and with more funding in some of those areas, it might have brought more healthcare professionals to them to have access to. Mm -hmm. And do you live in rural Oklahoma or do you live in Oklahoma City? Uh, for the last 10 years, I lived in Gene Autry, Oklahoma. Um, as of July 2019, I've been living in Oklahoma City, so I still consider myself relatively new to OKC. Mm -hmm. And so li living in Gene Autry as a, as a queer person, and as a gay person, what was that like? Um, you know, my family owned a business there that I managed for several years. Uh, and really got to know the community, and it kind of boiled down to that community organizer, uh, building relationships with folks, spending time with them, getting to know them. Um, and at the time, my partner was even our baker in, in, this, in the restaurant, so people got to spend time with him as well. Um, and through building those relationships, when the city was in turmoil and needed uh, leadership they can trust and someone they knew they can turn to, uh, they elected me uh, to serve as mayor uh, in Gene Autry, uh, and I was very open about myself then. And even the Baptist preacher came in a few times to stand up for me anytime the issue of sexuality came up. And he said that we really need to focus on um, the action that I'm doing and, and, and less on uh, my personal life and allow me to do my work. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were telling me a story that you essentially just were walking in the meeting. They're like, I nominate Kyle, right? Um, well, so we had catered that event, we donated our services to the event, and I was there, uh, and this little older gentleman who was 86 years old and still there and is an icon of the community, he was born and raised in um, what used to be known as Berwyn and was changed to Gene Autry. Um, 
he stood up and said, I nominate Carl Watson. And everybody in the room just kind of looked around and said, who on earth is that? And he pointed over to me and everybody said, oh, okay, Kyle Lawson. Um, and so I was elected that night. And I even, as I remember it, there was, we were under a tornado warning uh, the night of the election. Um, so a lot of folks showed out and ate dinner <laughs> and left right after. Um, but it was pretty unanimous through the whole city um, of the folks that showed up that they wanted me to, to step up. Or Carl Watson, either one. <laughs> or Carl Watson. <laughs> I mean, man, that just shows, you know, it's very Oklahoman for them to still want to show up despite there being a tornado warning. <laughs> I love that. But what was even going through your head? You just show up to, you're doing your job and someone, you know, you, you leave the building with another job. <laughs> I mean, I remember that night. Um, I didn't sleep at all because I just, there was a lot going on um, from the previous administration. You know, I was stepping into a lot. It was a huge responsibility. Um, and honestly, it was terrifying. I didn't know what type of spotlight it would put on me in my personal life. Um, but overall, I, I loved the experience. I enjoyed it. It was amazing. Um, it's helped me to become the individual I am today, and I will forever love that community. And then um, when it comes to like just, you know, LGBTQ plus people and politics and voting, I think Robin has some questions about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kyle, we were talking about, you read an article recently about, it was only about 20% of LGBT people are registered to vote. Talk to me about that a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's currently uh, one in five LGBTQIA folks who aren't registered to vote. So uh, for some of your listeners, just be thinking about, you know, five of your closest friends and think about the fact that one of those people may not be registered to vote and maybe come up with your personal game plan on how you might encourage them to go out and register. Um, but around 21% of Americans, according to pewtrust.org, are not registered to vote. Uh, the issue is, from that same study, they recognize that 77% of those who aren't registered to vote said that they just don't understand how government works or affects their lives, which is what's so important about the work that we do at Together Oklahoma, which is going into communities and reaching out to folks and teaching them about state government through programs like our ABCs of Advocacy uh, that walk folks through how state government works and impacts their lives. Um, and teach them about government. Uh, because I feel like the more people understand something, the more they, they want to be a part of it. What got you interested in politics in the first place? Oh, wow. Um, so my journey into politics really started when I was very young. Uh, I always talk about my, my high school career when I was in speech and debate. Uh, I qualified to go to nationals uh, my senior year. I didn't get to go to nationals that year because I walked across the stage to graduate and then went to basic training. Um, but I've always been very passionate about being civically engaged and how our government works. And um, after the army, I worked for Congressman Jim Colby, who was an openly gay congressman from the fifth congressional district in Arizona. Um, and I've just always been involved in my community. So this has kind of always been a very natural pathway for me. Well, tell us a little more about how long were you in the military and yeah, absolutely. Um, as some of your readers might remember from last October, um, my story about coming out um, and, you know, my family was always very supportive. Um, I had an uncle who came out in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, and so the conversation within my family was very organic. The issue was how I came out. Um, I was in the Army uh, serving under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 
And uh, I had to come out very publicly against that policy because it created a very hostile work environment that led to an assault, um, which is why I ended up going to work for Congressman Jim Colby. So you were basically, did you uh, come out because you wanted to uh, be openly against Don't Ask Don't Tell or is because someone else outed you? Um, I was outed by somebody um, within my platoon and it was actually Halloween night. Um, I was going to a party with some people from my platoon. Um, and that night I was assaulted because one of the individuals found out that I was gay uh, and really had an issue with that. And it stemmed from that to becoming a very hostile work environment in that I was in the barracks one afternoon and somebody pulled a knife on me and cornered me. Um, and, uh, you know, the at first, the military started talking about a dishonorable discharge, which the equivalency for that in the civilian world is almost like having a felony charge on your record in that you'll never be able to work for any public office if you have a dishonorable discharge. Um, and I was looking at a loss of a lot of my benefits. So I went to a JAG attorney first and visited with them. And they essentially told me I really had no options. And so that's part of why my coming out became so public um, because I had to speak out against that. I felt that that was an injustice and that I, didn't, I did nothing wrong. I, that was just, it was me and that's who I was and I was being asked to leave. So I came out very publicly. Um, I ended up receiving an honorable discharge. Um, I still lost a lot of my benefits, um, but through that experience, it's what brought me to work around uh, LGBTQIA and veteran issues immediately following that. And I've always been very passionate about that issue uh, throughout my work and, and very passionate about issues that face the LGBTQIA community um, because I know that there's still a lot of hurdles and barriers that we face. How long were you in the military? Uh, one year. Just one year. Well, yeah. um, so you identify now as non-binary. And yes. so what's that like for you in Oklahoma? Does your family accept it? Do they understand it? Have you explained things? I know your family's kind of cool about stuff like this. Yeah, um, it's still a very new journey for myself as well. Uh, so I'm learning and navigating it, but it kind of goes back to that, that same conversation around relationships. Um, people know me and as they've gotten to know me as an individual, they recognize that this doesn't change anything about me. And a lot of the folks that I've worked with, I've slowly started having this conversation with them. Um, and most folks just recognize that that's still just a part of who I am and they still love and accept me. Um, I do recognize that it does create hurdles and barriers for me um, working in some spaces, but I also recognize the places of privilege that I come from in that I'm a white masculine presenting individual. Um, and so that still allows some doors to be held open for me. Uh, and I recognize those places of privilege. Very good. So uh, you did identify as gay. Now mm -hmm. you identify as non-binary. Tell me about that journey and where um, you yeah, so I'm an Episcopalian, and we have a period of the year um, that we call the Lenten season, and every year we kind of give something up, um, and I was really struggling with what I wanted to give up um, this last Lenten season, and I was visiting with one of my friends down in Ardmore, uh, who happens to be trans, and we were having the conversation around this, this period, and the response to me was, well, why don't you give up gender for Lent? Um, and at first, I kind of thought that was a very bizarre idea and concept. Um, and then the more I got to looking into it and, and, and thinking about it and meditating on it and focusing on it, um, I've really learned how fluid 
uh, gender is and um, have found a very comfortable space for myself and I've really enjoyed this journey. That is excellent. So you gave it up for Lent, but you've now accepted that into your life. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, very cool. So the, one of the questions we ask in the end uh, for everyone is, are you a proud Oklahoman? And if so, why? Okay, well, I am not native to Oklahoma, but my family is. Uh, my dad's side comes from Rubottom, Oklahoma, which is just outside of Ardmore. And my mom's side comes from McAllister, Oklahoma. And then they ended up meeting in Tucson, Arizona for some random reason and then deciding to come back here. Um, but I chose to live in Oklahoma and moving here and doing the work that I do throughout rural Oklahoma, I've really fallen in love with the citizens here and fallen in love with their stories and their, and the, their history here. Um, and just a lot of folks throughout rural Oklahoma have really transformed my life and become like family to me. Um, and so I'm very proud to be an Oklahoman and I've absolutely fallen in love with the state um, and have no future plans of leaving anytime soon. So I enjoy being here. I'm very, very proud to occupy this space. Man, Together Oklahoma really sounds like they're working to change the future of the state. Yeah, I think it's great to know about organizations like Together Oklahoma and to share that information with our Gailey audience. And speaking of our audience, I want to toss you all some questions. So did you even know there were organizations like Together Oklahoma? And did you realize that so few LGBTQ people are registered to vote? And how do you think we can increase that number? Good questions, Alex. So there you have it, another episode of the Gailey Podcast. Once again, I'm Robin, your host. And I'm your co-host, Alex Myers. We'll see you next time.